You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. Another world, another time, in the age of wonder. There was once a dream, you could only whisper it. Anything more than a whisper, and it would vanish. A battle between good and evil. You don't know the power of the dark side. Where shall I find a new adversary so close to my own level? Try the local sewer. You know of the rebellion against the Empire? The Avengers, Earth's mightiest heroes. Peace means having a bigger stick than the other guy. One of these days, I'm going to have a stick of my own. I'm Groot. Welcome to the Neverland Podcast. The podcast for lovers of Disney, Pixar, Marvel, and Star Wars. I'm glad you're here to tell us these things. Please welcome your host, Jeremy. I thought he'd be taller. Yeah, I can fly. All it takes is faith. Trust. Well, if it isn't the Star Spangled Man with a plan, what is your plan today? Up to Neverland! Take your pixie out of your pocket, Neverlanders! My goodness, I have so much to cover with you this week. Although we're not going to have any trailer park or movie reviews, I didn't find any movies this week that I really was going to watch. Uh, Granted, perhaps an Ice Age movie would fit with this audience, but frankly, they should have stopped making Ice Age movies at least two movies in, if not after the first one, so I wasn't going to go to that. Uh, There was a Jason Bourne film that opened this week, but I've only seen two of those. I'm really behind on those, so I wasn't going to go out to that. So we really didn't have anything that uh, I thought was going to fit for the show to review. I didn't really see any of any new trailers, but I have plenty of stuff to cover for that. We have some audio. Uh, I went to an event in Marceline, Missouri. That's right, Walt Disney's hometown. I went last weekend to see one of the original uh, Club 55 members, Bob Penfield. You know what Club 55 is, right? That is some of the original employees from Disneyland from 1955 when it opened. So Bob Penfield was at an event in Marceline being hosted by the Walt Disney Hometown Museum. I went to it and he brought some friends with him. Bill Sullivan, who is also part of Club 55 and, and is a Disney legend, and he brought with him also Disney legend Tom Nabby. Or was it Nabby? I think it was Nabby (laughs) when he said. So I have that audio to share with these three guests. You know, we got a couple of Disney legends. Tom Nabby was actually the original Tom Sawyer on Tom Sawyer's Island. All three of these people have met and interacted with Walt Disney. I'm going to share the audio from Bob Penfield and Bill Sullivan here, plus also some question and answer time. The Tom Nabb presentation it's more of a visual thing. He has a slide pr- uh, program, you know, the going on, a PowerPoint that was behind him. So I'm going to share video of that on the Neverland Podcast YouTube channel later this week. I might even get it uploaded, to, uploaded today if I get the chance. I've got a lot of things to do around here. But so that's what we have for our main thing today. Uh, and that's pretty long content. Uh, so I'm pretty sure you're going, you're going to enjoy it. But I didn't want to just leave it at that because there was a lot of interesting news happening right around the world of Disney. So uh, let's talk about a little, a little bit about some of the news. Disney and Geek Universe to bring you the best in comics, toys, movies, and entertainment. This is news from around Neverland. 
All right, well, the first thing I want to jump into, the Muppets are coming back to Walt Disney World Resort with an all-new show here in the fall. Uh, right outside of Liberty, or, well, I guess inside Liberty Square, but right outside the Hall of Presidents, there's going to be a show with the Muppets. And they're going to go through a little bit of uh, American history from the Midnight Ride of Paul Revere to the signing of Declaration of Independence. And apparently the Muppets are going to appear throughout the day and having some different kind of unique take on the Founding Fathers and the birth of the United States. Uh, it's going to have an original song and, of course, lots of Muppet humor. And it's called The Muppets Present Great Moments in American History. It's going to make its debut in October of this year. Now, how is this show going to work? Are we going to have actual puppeteers coming out? I, I have no idea how this is going to work. There's The details are very, very slim that I'm finding so far. But still, it's a new Muppet program happening at Walt Disney World inside the Magic Kingdom. And that is, of course, very this is exciting. Be starting here on August the 4th. But there is a new... It's a Disney pin scavenger hunt, and they're calling it Pin Quest. Okay? So August 4th is when this starts. Now, let me give you a little bit of details that I'm finding on the Disney Parts blog. But uh, you, the guests who want to participate, you need to purchase an adventure kit. And this is going to contain a lanyard to, where you can showcase all of your pins. And a lanyard pouch to hold the Disneyland Park map included in the adventure kit. Uh, the lanyard pouch also holds PinQuest clue cards, which are going to be sold separately, so prepare to spend some money on this. Okay, so there's six different PinQuest clue cards. Each clue is going to have a question, and that, of course, you're going to have to answer, and then you share that with a Navigate Ear cast member at a very particular location. Okay, so once you've solved that, you redeem your clue card for a PinQuest pin using the perforated ticket on the bottom of the clue card. And then, you'll, of course, you'll go hunt, hunt using the decoder metal from the adventure kit. You line up arrows for each pin to determine the next location within Disneyland Park. And when you complete this, you get this really cool pin. It is an official Disney Quest Ear pin, and it's very limited release. You have to complete this to get it. But this is happening now at Disneyland. Uh, they did something similar to this already in Florida, apparently, which I didn't hear anything about. But this is going to be at Disneyland. Now... There are some participating locations where you can get your, your items that you need to purchase. In Frontierland, you're going to go to the Westward Ho Trading Company. On Main Street, USA, you're going to go to 20th Century Music Company. Fantasyland, it's a small world toy shop. Critter Country, you'll go to Pooh Corner. Tomorrowland, go to the Little Green Men's Store Command. And in New Orleans Square, it'll be the Pieces of Eight shop. Uh, at these locations, guests who have completed the entire Disneyland pin quest are eligible to purchase a Questier pin completer pin. Uh, so all of these are going to be available only while supplies last, and they're not going to be sold on the online store or shop Disney Parks or anything like that. You're going to need a separate admission to Disneyland Park in order to participate. So if you are big on collecting pins, go for it. It starts August 4th and will last as long as, I guess, until supplies run out. I don't know if they're going to try to keep it going for the rest of the summer or not. So far, as far as I could tell, it might only be running one day. Um, but also some interesting news happening in Disneyland. Rivers of America and the Disneyland Railroad is officially set to reopen in the summer of 2017. And this is going to include, of course, Fantasmic, the Mark Twain Riverboat, and Sailing Ship Columbia, Pirates Layer on Tom Sawyer Island, and Davy Crockett Explorer Canoes. It's all coming back next summer. So if you were waiting for Dull to come back before you make your trip out there, there you go. Next summer. All right. Now it's time for some movie news. Your attention, please. Disney Movie News. Okay, now this was kind of weird news. So, Marvel Studios has decided that 
Avengers Infinity War, which was going to be a part one and a part two. Now you're going to have Avengers Infinity War, and now they have set the other one as being an untitled Avengers film. Now, as far as we know, it looks like these are still going to be filmed back to back all at one time, but now they're definitely kind of separating them to two separate films. Not sure if it's dealing with the same storyline or not. Uh, not sure what all's going on there. Um, but they're, you know, the Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely are definitely pending scripts for two features, uh, which we're going to have the directors Anthony and Joe Russo to film, which, of course, they've been highly successful with Captain America films, the Russo brothers. So we don't know exactly what's going on other than some changes. Um, but, so, you know, Avengers Infinity War is still slat. May 4th, 2018, and the follow-up, of course, will be May 3rd of 2019, so for the two following years. These are quite a ways off yet. We still have, you know, some films coming in in between, although apparently the Captain Marvel film is still coming ahead of, you know, in 2019, but she's supposed to be appearing in at least one of these Avengers films, probably the one in 2019, maybe to kind of introduce the character to us a little bit. So, you know, it's kind of off in the distance, but it is coming. Now, here's something weird. The Rocketeer is getting a sequel slash reboot. This isn't considered to be a sequel to the original film from back in, what, 19... Well, sometime in the 1990s. I can't remember if it was 93 or 94. So this is a sequel. But it's going to reboot because we're going to get a brand new Rocketeer. And here is a quote from Max Winkler and Matt Spicer, who have been hired to reboot a sequel. And, uh, well, this was a, a description of the film. It says, the new take keeps the story in a period setting and offers a fresh view on the characters. Set six years after the original Rocketeer and after Cliff Secord has vanished while fighting the Nazis, an un unlikely new hero emerges, a young African-American female pilot who takes up the mantle of Rocketeer in an attempt to stop an ambitious and corrupt rocket scientist from stealing jetpack technology, which could prove to be a turning point in the Cold War. Uh, so this seems to be uh, more of a Cold War themed type of thing, early Cold War, because we're dealing right after, like, World War II, and, you know, six years after the original film, and, well, I don't know that this ever appeared in the comics, these were comics created by Dan Stevens back in 1982, it was published by Pacific Comics, uh, and it mainly just followed Cliff Secord, and you had a developed character there, this is Disney doing their own thing in the current wave of you know, being as diverse as we, we can. And so we're getting a young African-American and a female. So they're just covering all bases to try to create some more African-American heroes and more female heroes. But they're doing it cheaply. They're, they're doing coming from an established character and putting what they want into that established character instead of just creating new characters, which I feel to be very non-creative and cheap. Will this be any good, though? I don't know, but I'll probably check it out. Uh, I did enjoy the original Rocketeer movie. Uh, you know, I know a lot of people didn't, but I thought it was fun. Uh, so getting some more could be fun, although expect a whole new set of characters uh, and no James Horner soundtrack, unfortunately. Okay, one thing I want to dive into that uh, I talked a little bit about this last week, August 12th through the 14th. Now, I'm not going to be hosting a panel at this, but the Kansas City Comic Con is happening. So if you're anywhere in the area, definitely want to come and check this out. I've looked at some more at some of the guest lists, and uh, anyone know who Carrie Henn is? Well, let me tell you. Remember Newt in Aliens? She's there. 
going to be on Friday. Also, as I mentioned before, Margaret Carey, and she will have a panel on Sunday. I do plan to attend and record and see if I get a chance to talk to her myself. Michelle Nichols will be there. Peter Shinkoda, who uh, you've seen in Daredevil, also Falling Skies. Uh, there's an actress from Orphan Black, which I haven't watched, but I know some people are really big fans of that. Of course, John Schneider and Tom Wopat from the Dukes of Hazard. Also, John Schneider, you'll know him from Smallville. Uh, Billy D. Williams will be there on Sunday having a panel. There's a local podcast called The Worst Comic Podcast Ever, and they've just got their fingers in all kinds of panels. They're hosting all kinds of things. They really must have been working hard to uh, do all they could for this. But this is coming up the 12th through the 14th. You can get your tickets at KansasCity-ComicCon.com. Uh, I'll try to get a link for you here in the show notes for that. Also in the show notes, I will have a link. I am now going to do some work through Fiverr if you need someone to do a little voiceover for you or a little bit of hosting or whatever. If you want to employ me for some of your services, I do have availability on Fiverr, and I will put that link in the show notes. Also, you'll find in the show notes this week, if you happen to be a fellow podcaster and you're looking for a way to grow your listenership and just kind of randomly get your podcast out to some people, I do have a link for you through Kiss My RS. SS. Uh, it's a really fun kind of title for a website that somebody has developed. Well, it, w- it will randomly put your podcast out in front of people who visit the website and are just looking for some different podcasts to explore. It'll put it out there for you, and it actually has increased some of my listenership. Uh, so I will put a link for you there in the show notes so you can go and check that out. All right. Now let's hear from some Disney legends. To Disney and beyond. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for coming out tonight. Welcome to the 2016 Walt Disney Hometown. Oh, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Wow. Disney pressure. Welcome to the 2016 Speaker Series. My name is Peter Whitehead. I'm the creative director at the Walt Disney Hometown Museum. Um, we're going to have uh, uh, a lot of special things happen tonight. There's three people sitting at this table. Um, you were promised one. That's, uh, that's the power of Marceline uh, over-delivering every time. Uh, Bob Penfield uh, came to the museum, met our uh, executive director, Kay Mallins, about two years ago at a Dis- Disney Anna convention. He came to the museum last year, uh, said, I would love to tell my story in your museum. It speaks to my heart, and our museum speaks to a lot of people's hearts. Uh, it's, uh, it's a special place, and when you all come, I don't know how many of you been to the museum today specifically, but if you come back tonight for the uh, cocktail party, there's a very special piece that's specific to Bob and the, the whole Club 55, and they're going to talk about <coughs> Club 55, so I won't go into great detail. But when Bob decided to come, he said, can I bring some friends? <laughs> and uh, his, friends, his friends, <laughs> well, he only had to, so he didn't over-deliver, but he brought them both to show off. And uh, they are Disney legends. <clears throat> And in our museum, we often talk about the importance of how many people on the face of the earth can say that they met and knew Walt Disney. That's a small number, and that number gets smaller every single year. And the power of our museum and the joy of where I get to work is I work with two of them. 
I work with Kane Mountains, and I work with Inez Johnson, and they both intimately knew Walt Disney. We now have three others to share stories. So I'm going to just introduce one person because he's going to introduce his friends. And ladies and gentlemen, that is Bob Penfield. Okay, first of all, I'm pretty hard of hearing, and particularly in a uh, loud environment. So if I don't answer you right away, don't worry about it. There is, everybody else is used to it. Okay, I'm a Midwesterner. I was born about 100 miles north of here in the little town of Russell, Iowa. <clears throat> Grew up, though, west of Burlington, Iowa, uh, next to the little town of Middletown, if you know where it is on the Iowa Ordnance Plant, which is about the best place in the world, maybe next to Marceline, that you could grow up in. <laughs> had everything. It was all military, you know, and it really had everything. Anyway, I went to school in uh, Burlington, Iowa, until my senior year when my dad, and they started cutting back on the Iowa Ordnance Plant, so we moved to Anaheim, which is one of the best things I ever did in my life also in addition to, you know, marrying my wife and a few other things, quit smoking, that it was a big on my, my list. <laughs> <laughs> in 2001, I decided to go back to Burlington, Iowa for the first time. And I came through Marceline, and they had just opened up, Inez Johnson and Kay Mallins had just opened up the museum, like about maybe three weeks before I got here. Well, unfortunately, I got to the museum right after they closed. <laughs> and so I just kind of saw the town and went on to Burlington, Iowa. In 2005, at one of the Disney shows in Anaheim, I met Kay Mallins. I didn't know her until then. Um, and at a Disney Anna show, and they were doing a, a, a display of, uh, of Marceline and, and the museum. And so I got to talking to her, you know, and whatnot. And then last September, I decided to go back for the 60th high school reunion. So that kind of tells you how old I am. And uh, although I didn't graduate there, they allow me to come back because I tell a lot of stories and they like to hear all that. <laughs> they like to also get into Disneyland. And if any of you ever come out there, you look me up. You know, I'll see if I can take care of you. So I stopped in the museum and walked in the door and there was Kay. And I remembered her. And she gave me a private tour through the museum. And uh, that's when I had, like my wife said, you had to open your big mouth, didn't you, Bob? So I said, you know, you don't have a, a display here in the Club 55, which I'll tell you what that is in a minute. <laughs> and from there on, <laughs> it became more and more and more and from the time I got here Thursday with Tom, and then Friday with Bill, and a very good friend of mine, Roger, in the back, it's become more and more and more. And every day we're on the run doing something, and this has really been a just a tremendous experience with it. So I'll go back to Disneyland. Uh, when I got out of high school, looking for a job, I wanted to be a forest ranger. And uh, for the first couple of years going to college, I was studying botany and, and other related subjects. But I got a job at Disneyland for the summer. And then, of course, uh, being that uh, I'd only ever worked on a farm for a dollar an hour, and 
you're not going to believe this. Disneyland is the only job I ever had, the only job I ever paid taxes on, 42 years. Wow. Could have still been working there, but I got tired. <laughs> <laughs> so I would go to school in the morning at 7 o'clock, and at 1 o'clock, the park was open. The, well, it, during the winter, I mean, during the summer, it was no problem. But come winter, I still wanted to keep working, so I'd leave school about 1 o'clock, and then I'd drive to Disneyland as fast as I could and start at 2 o'clock, and I was working in Fantasyland, and uh, I'd work till about 10.30. I'd take the keys. Now, you're not going to believe this. I'd take the keys. i collect all the ride attendance sheets. I'd take the keys, go over and open up the door of the castle, go in the castle, and turn off the lights. <laughs> Fantasyland. Wow. So one thing led to another. Pretty soon, <clears throat> Frontierland, and I was all over Disneyland training, but pretty soon Frontierland started looking as good as, as being a forest ranger, so I decided. <laughs> but I did uh, do a lot. I did a lot of backpacking. I uh, backpacked almost all of the mountains in uh, uh, California, the high Sierras and whatnot. And my last one was uh, Mount Whitney, and I had a little heart murmur at that time, and, and then, so I decided that's it for, for backpacking and hiking. And that's where, you know, like two or three weeks at a time. So along around, I worked there uh, as a ride operator, then as a foreman, three days later, I started on the carousel because of the Peter Pan attraction was not open. And so I worked on the carousel, and then I went around the park and worked on all the attractions and in various other departments. And of course I decided to stay, and then I did work other venues uh, other than Disneyland. I worked with Bill. Uh, we went up and worked at the eighth Winter Olympic Games in Squaw Valley in 1960 for five weeks, probably the hardest five weeks that we ever worked, and because Bill and I did all the work. That's <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> right. This is the truth. <laughs> and I can tell you some stories about that. No. His wife's here and I can't tell you. <laughs> My wife's not here. She can't handle the humidity. So it, uh, that was in 1960, 64, 65. I worked at the New York World's Fair at the Pensacola Pavilion. And, and of course, Bill was back there at that time also. And then 71, Bill went on down to Fan uh, Walt Disney World along with Tom. And Tom's going to tell you about himself here a little bit, so I won't you know, bother with that right now. But I went down to, in 71, I worked in Walt Disney World for three months uh, assisting the opening of that. And then in 1982-83, uh, uh, Tokyo Disneyland, which started out at six months work. And then before I left, I found out I was going to work there for seven months. And then when I got there, I found out I was going to work for nine months. <laughs> and then when I got ready to leave, they wanted me to work for another three months, which I said, nope, I'm going back to California. And then, of course, came around to uh, Paris. And, and Tokyo Disneyland was probably the best job that I ever had. It was just unbelievable how organized, and of course we had a lot of time, we had a lot of experience that really helped. What what we did wrong in Disneyland, what we did wrong in Walt Disney World, we did right in Tokyo Disneyland. If you've never been there, fantastic park. Of and of course now, then since then, they've had uh, 
Paris. I had a chance to go to Paris. I did not want to go uh, for various reasons. And, uh, and then uh, Hong Kong, but uh, I, none of us worked at Hong Kong. And then, of course, uh, Shanghai. And if you have a chance to talk to Roger back there, he's been to all of them except Shanghai. And he goes to all of them almost every year. And knows more about him, and I keep telling him when he retires from his job that he ought to work for Disney because he knows more than they know. <laughs> <laughs> so along around 1970, at the 15th anniversary, uh, which was called the Castle Awards anniversary, and, and by that I mean at the first year they gave us a, a, a little silver pin, the uh, fifth year was a, a little bronze pin. The tenth year was a ten-year uh, plaque, and that was the last year we saw Walt Disney. And he, he spoke to us, and then shortly after that, the following year, he passed away. And then at the uh, fifteenth uh, was the Castle Awards, which is a little statuette of the uh, Sleeping Beauty's castle. And shortly after that, uh, Van France, who was a famous person at Disneyland, who uh, created the, uh, all the orientation and traditions at Disneyland and the University of Disneyland, and which evolved into going to other com companies and showing them how to train their employees and, you know, and et cetera. Uh, he and a fellow by the name of Dick Molino uh, got together and decided that they'd um, make a, a club called the Club 55. Well, originally it was called the 55 Club. They didn't like the way it sounds, so they changed it to the Club 55. And that happened in August of 1970, about a, a month after the uh, 15th anniversary. And then the following year, we celebrated it for the first time. And that was 130 of the original employees that were there in 1955 or before. There were some of them, like Owen Pope, who ran the Pony Farm, and uh, later on named the Circle D Corral that were there in 53. He even lived up on the studio uh, training horses and whatnot. Right now, there's so 130 Club 55ers to begin with. It's, right now we're down to 13. And uh, we've lost two this year, uh, including the first president of Disneyland, Jack Lindquist, and including my friend that I hired in with Disneyland, Ray Vandy Walker. Which I, you know, I never knew a lot of people. My last year at at Anaheim High, and he was my best friend, and I lost him here a couple months ago, and uh, very sad. So that was when the Club 55 started. Every year we had a party, on usually on the anniversary, and uh, later on uh, it, it started to be a, a, a just the active people. And the Club 55 was predicated on if you started any time in 1955 or before and were in continuous service. And the Club 55 is like any club at any place. It's got its little political ramifications, <laughs> <laughs> you know. There's a few people that should have been in the Club 55. There's a few people that should not have been in the Club 55. That's here or there. I don't really care what one. <laughs> We now, the oldest person that we ever had in the Club 55 was a famous person. If you Google him on, on uh, your internet, it was uh, Admiral Joe Fowler who built Disneyland 
and was actually a, a rear admiral in the U.S. Navy, and he li he lived to be 99. almost a hundred. Ninety-nine. Ninety-nine, almost a hundred. Wow. That's almost a hundred. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's close. Close That's what I tell you. <laughs> and uh, right now we have one guy that was the. A very interesting person by the name of George Short. George Short worked for uh, RCA, and he actually filmed, was running one of the TV cameras on opening day, and then he went to a company called the Ralphie Sound Shop Company. You have to remember when Disneyland first opened, almost all of the merchandising, except for a couple shops, were uh, lessees. Almost all of the restaurants. Matter of fact, I think maybe all of them were uh, lessees. Then eventually, and because Walt didn't have the money, he was out of the money, you have to remember now that Disneyland was built for $17 million. We can't even do a restroom for $17 million. <laughs> <laughs> the new star, well, Shanghai, what did it run, Roger? Six point some billion dollars to build? And it's supposed to be beautiful, though. And uh, the new Star Wars attraction or area that they're putting into Disneyland is over $2 billion. And then I come along in uh, the early part of this century, uh, they built Disney California Adventure, which was a total flop <laughs> when it first opened. It was a one-shot park, had about two or three attractions that were worth riding. And, uh, He's not here, so I can say that was what we called the Michael Eisner power. <laughs> the Walt Disney Park and the Michael Eisner Park. And eventually that kind of changed. And we bought out, you know, Pixar. And with Pixar, we got a guy by the name of John Lasseter who said, this is what you got to do at DCA, Disney California Venture. And at that time, probably the attendance was 90% Disneyland and 10% Disney California Adventure. And it was terrible because Disneyland was just being overloaded. And uh, they put a, I don't know, billion plus dollars into it. And it's a fantastic park. And it has a lot of good attractions, and particularly when Cars Land came in. And it's really, really a fantastic place now. Well, getting back to, and it probably runs around 65, 35, or even maybe 60, 40 now. So it's balanced out. The biggest problem Disneyland's got right now for employees and guests, because we call customers guests at Disneyland, and we don't call uh, the guards at Disneyland their officers, and we don't call them ride operators, we call them cast members. And we got all these little fancy names, you know. And they, and they work, you know. That's, that's part of what Disneyland's about. It's different than anywhere else you'll ever work or every dream of working. But getting back to the Club 55, and then I'll finish up and we can go with uh, uh, Bill, and Bill, Bill and Tom. Uh, it finally evolved to where we just uh, started having uh, uh, dinners every year for the uh, active members. And in the 20th anniversary for Walt Disney World, I got a hold of Sully and I said, hey, you know what, we've been inviting you guys back for all the parties because he went down and helped been at Walt Disney World since 1970 or 71 or whatever, Tom also. And uh, we've always been inviting you guys back down uh, back here for the parties, how about inviting us? So he did. He got a hold of uh, Dick Nunes, uh, the big guy down there, 
And we went down there and had a fantastic time. And it was probably one of the best vacations we, my wife and I had ever had. So over the period of time, eventually it got, it got down to the, at Disneyland, which was the only place the Club 55 was having the party, got down to Ray and I, <laughs> my buddy, the last two, and then it got down to just me and they didn't have a party. And then, they, you know, then I retired the following year and then the Club 55 basically. Now Tom and a few other guys were still working though at uh, Walt Disney World. So they were the last of the Mohegans, so to speak, as far as the Club 55. So that's just kind of basically what the Club 55 is. I got some friends here from Burlington, Iowa. I got my cousin over here and she brought her family. And uh, when I when I talked to Kay and then eventually got a hold, Peter got a hold of me and then Peter started doing all these things, you know, and every day we had something different going for us. And it's it's been a it's been a fantastic time. I cannot believe and and I cannot thank them enough to what they've done for us. And uh, it's not because we wanted publicity or anything like that, but we just wanted to kind of tell you the story of Disneyland. There's no better place in the world to work. There is none. But that I can't verify that because I never worked. For <laughs> I worked with a lot of other companies. I worked with the Olympic Organizing Committee, which Sully will tell you wasn't very organized. <laughs> it wasn't even very organized when we got here, but it was better. And there was a, you know, we could tell you a whole story on that. And, uh, yeah, before we about, talk to Sully, though, yeah, there's just, one yeah, thing I'll that... I'll let Sully tell you all about that at Walt Disney World. Then Tom can tell you a fantastic stories about Walt. Uh, I, I did talk to Walt quite a few times. Nothing like Tom and nothing like Sully. And uh, Walt was a different type person. And people would constantly ask you, well, what was he like? You know, was he a, a, a great movie maker? Yes. Was he a great storyteller? Yes. Was he this? Was he that? But what would you say he was? And I'd say, well, it's very simple. He's a genius. He did things that nobody did. He was the first one that embraced TV because he saw it. You know, he did. You, he was the first one to develop a stereophonic sound with Fantasia. Unfortunately, most of the theaters couldn't do the stereophonic sound. Technicolor, he brought that in. Snow White and uh, the Seven Dwarfs. The you know, nobody, nobody believed that was going to be successful. I started on the carousel three days later. I went over and worked on uh, Snow White. Uh, I was born in 37. Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs come out in 37. So I'm the same age as Snow White is. Yes, I am. Just a little better looking. <laughs> It. Bob, before you sit down, Bob's incredibly modest. Uh, the one thing that he did not mention that you need to talk about is the day that he retired, and I saw it last week when I was in California. Bob has a window on Main Street in his name. Well, about three minutes. In 1997, when I decided to retire, and actually I, re I gave notice uh, before Thanksgiving the year before that I was going to retire the following year. Not because, you know, actually it had to do with something with my job, but, it, but not because of uh, publicity or anything like that. 
Well, 97 just happened to be a slow year for publicity. <laughs> so it wasn't even intentional. But come around July, the, I, I retired on July the 31st. I wanted to finish out the end of the month. Come around July the 17th, this thing started mushrooming and people, you know, the TV companies were calling in, the radios were calling in, everybody was calling in, wanting to do interviews, and I was working, I was still working, I worked right up until, the, right up until an hour before the, I retired. And I got to where, man, I was exhausted doing all this stuff. For the last <laughs> week. Yeah, I'm working harder than you ever worked. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that was just interviews. <laughs> so anyway, what they decided, and it was the biggest retirement party ever at Disneyland. Uh, you know, and there's various other other parties that I had. You know, in-house party in my office, uh, uh, one over in uh, Frontierland, one at the Disneyland Hotel. But they decided to, to take Coke Corner, if you've never been to Disneyland, down at the end of the park. They emptied all of the tables and etc. set up chairs and whatnot, had uh, a podium for all the TV cameras and everything. And that's where my window is, back there, window off Main Street. <laughs> and uh, it was designed, and it, I had a little bit to do with the uh, uh, Facilities. By that time, I didn't tell you, but I moved out of operations after 11 years, went over into maintenance, into facilities that would be, and ran a lot of different uh, departments there and finished up in, in uh, project management, running construction, and that's basically why my hearing so bad is uh, being around construction all the time. But in 1958, I drove the... Uh, fire wagon the first time on Main Street because I was a, a ride operator then, foreman actually. And so they decided, well, we're going to have it at Coke Corner. They took out all the umbrellas, all the tables, set up all this stuff. And uh, we were coming down Main Street, and I was in the fire wagon, and the people were going like this, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> and I thought, man, I didn't realize many people knew me. <laughs> and then I realized Mick, Mickey Mouse and Minnie Mouse was riding on the fire wagon. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, we went down there and we had a big party, and uh, it's over and done with. And uh, I just recently, you know, back in those days, this was a uh, uh, track, and I got various eight track, and I don't have an eight track player. Nobody has an eight track player. I wanted to find out. Well, I finally started going through them, and I found one that was a combination of all my retirement. And so I'm having that changed into a DVD, and I'll send one down to Peter, and I'll be over here at the, the museum, and anybody wants to watch it. And, uh, you know, maybe you can get money for that, you know? <laughs> <laughs> put, a, put a thing there, you know, quarter. Uh -huh. <laughs> and, uh, the nickel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> His wife's out there, so I gotta, I gotta be careful. <laughs> So I'm, I'm, I'm really happy that all of you showed up and I can tell you a little bit of these stories. And we got some special guests back here for uh, this fellow over here a little later on. And uh, that'll be kind of interesting. And I knew about it. He didn't know about it until he got here. See, I keep all these secrets. Kay tells me, but I don't tell nobody else. <laughs> Anything else? No, just introduce okay. your friend. I thank you. And before you leave, I want you to have, these are the... Mickey Mouse Alumni Club pins. Each one of you can get one. Some of you have already got one. 
and it's, it shows Mickey Mouse in an old raccoon uh, coat from the 50th anniversary. Wow. Hey, Bill Sullivan started, I think, did you say a few weeks or a July few months? July 27th, 1955. There you go. Yep. A, a long-time Disney employee. He, he hopped around, I think, just as much as Bob did. We and, all did. Uh, and ended up hopping out again as a Disney legend. So, uh, Bill Sully Sullivan. <laughs> Uh, thank you for everybody being here tonight, uh, and it's hot out here in Missouri. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, my, my career started as I worked for my uncle on his chicken ranch for four years while I was through high school. And uh, he said, finally after he had graduated, he says, go get a real job. And uh, so I went into the aircraft industry. I did that for about four months, and uh, I didn't like working inside. And so on July uh, 17th, I sat and watched his van open on the boob tube. And uh, I said, I'm going to go out there. So I went out there, and the guy that interviewed me, uh, he had just left uh, Northrop Aircraft that Friday, and I was there on Monday. He said, you've got a job. And Bella uh, Easton, who was our wardrobe lady, had fits with me because I didn't fit the mold. Fit the mold. I was too short and too fat. <laughs> but, uh, but Diane started out on a, as a ticket taker on the Jungle Cruise. I uh, spent two and a half years in the jungle, ended up being a foreman. And then, like Bob, we all got to move around the park, and that was, you know, it was a planned thing to get us experience and seeing what's going on all over the park and get uh, getting any other attractions. Uh, and uh, uh, we, uh, I was I was the yo-yo supervisor in the uh, in the summertime and Christmas and Easter. They I'd get promoted, and we'd wear an orange tie. And then uh, come the slower times of the year, I would go back down uh, and as a foreman on the different attractions. And I got to work all the attractions in the park, except for the for the mon uh, for the trains, and the monorails. I didn't get to work those because there were, those were red laws. Without everything else I got to do. And uh, uh, let's see. Uh, then we go to, went to Squaw Valley, uh, the Winter Olympics. Uh, got a call from Dick, and who was our boss, Dick Nunes, and he's a sully. He says, "Go buy some ski clothes. Go buy some ski boots." I says, "Why?" He says, "You're going to." This you're going to Squaw Valley. You're going to run uh, security and ID uh, and parking at the Squaw Valley. Penfield and I and Jack Taylor, Penfield and I did do all the work. And uh, uh, we'd set the day shift, set the uh, swing shift, and the graveyard shift. And uh, we were there, and we were there for six weeks. And it was a hard six weeks, but we had fun doing it. Uh, and then uh, came back and, and worked, different, worked all the different areas. Uh, and then I got another phone call from Dick. He's a Sully. He says, uh, you're going to you're going to you know, the World's Fair for three weeks. I says, okay, what am I going to do? He's going to work with Petfield and Pete. And I says, okay, and you run the attraction. So I got there and I did my three weeks like I, like a good boy did. And I says, Dick, my three weeks are up. He says, Sully, I'll tell you when to come home. <laughs> <laughs> so I spent six weeks there working with him and Pete. And then the next year, uh, I got another phone call from Dick. He says. Sully, he said, sell your house, both your cars, pack your wife up, and you're going to New York. I said, Dick, I've never been to New York. He said, I've never been east of the Mississippi. He says, you're only going to go down. So, so I got on an airplane, and I went out, and we got ready to open up uh, the World's Fair the second year. And my lovely wife, she came back later. She had three kids with her, 
And my, my number two daughter screamed the entire way. Oh. My wife was a, was a master taste. <laughs> anyway, we, we made it through there, and we came back, and, and uh, we brought Small World back. And I was put in, put in as manager of Fantasyland when I got back. And I was, a, I was in the process of opening Small World. And it was, it was, I had a duty one night, and I was, I was standing there and watching the guys uh, train on, on the attraction. And uh, the, the, uh, the painters were finishing up, the landscaping guys were planting trees, and I feel this brush against my shoulder. And I, I look and I looked at him like that, it was the boss. <laughs> and he says, Sully, you gonna be ready in the morning? I said, yes, sir. He says, okay. And at five o'clock in the morning, guys came in and finished doing all the planning, all that stuff. And uh, when Walt came down in his electric cart, came down Main Street with the president of uh, the Bank of America, he looked it over and looked at us, gave it a shot like that, and then he gave me a thumbs up. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, and uh, then uh, uh, it was a, it was a great experience, uh, and I uh, got uh, moved over into project development, and that was for uh, Epcot Center uh, at Walt Disney World. Excuse me, and uh, we provided operational input uh, to WDI uh, for the operation uh, of the attractions. And you know what kind of uh, buttons, uh, emergency buttons we wanted, how big the queue line should be, and all that good stuff. None of, none of, the, none of the art directing stuff, but just the sizes and stuff like that. We made Main Street wider. Uh, we made the the, uh, uh, so the sidewalk wider, and good stuff like that. And we had we had Small World at Walt Disney World about 300 feet back, and we were running short of money. And so the Dick Dick was in the meeting of it at the studio. And they brought it back in, and that's where we got Irvine Alley, which is about that wide for people to go through. So anyway, but anyway, uh, uh, I got uh, into uh, I ran I ran the Magic Kingdom for a while, and then I got put into project development uh, for uh, Epcot Center, and I did that for provided operational input uh, for four years, uh, and then I ran it for two years, and uh, so we'd go back to WDI every weekend. And uh, I keep talking about stuff for, for Epcot Center. It's, uh, stuff that we had learned at the, at the Magic Kingdom that we didn't want to make that same mistake twice. We did make a lot of mistakes, but we learned how to cover them up real good. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, but I, uh, uh, I got a call, phone call one day from Jim Cora, who he and I worked together in Tomorrowland early, early on. <clears throat> Jim went over to uh, uh, Japan. And uh, he, he saw us, uh, solidified the deal and opened it. And he was going to Paris to open Paris. And he says, Sully, he says, I need you. I said, what do you need? I says, he says, I need you to come over and help me open this place up. I says, Jim, I got a good job. I got a good park. He says, I need your help. And I told him, no, I'm not coming. I'm not coming. He says, I'll tell you what I'll do. He says, I'll give you 10 days, free charge, pay first class air trip. You and your wife come over and take a look at this place. So. We, we loaded up and we went over there and I, I walked down Main Street and I looked at the park and that park was absolutely gorgeous. It should have been because they were spending like $1,400 a square foot on it. My park in Aria was only $450 a square foot. <laughs> but Michael and Frank wanted it to be gorgeous. And uh, so I was there and I froze my tail off because we got there in January and we opened it in April and uh, we stayed till June. Uh, but I was, it was interesting. I was standing on there. We had. I told the guys that uh, I wanted them to clean the river uh, so that we could start operating the Mark Twain. And no, 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 no. They had some French 
law that you had to have a specific type of diver. We didn't have them on the payroll. Mm. And so they said, oh, we're going to test it anyway. I said, okay. And they got out there and it stopped. And I said, uh-oh. And I said, now get the diver in. <laughs> Back the thing down. And they, there was a five-gallon paint bucket in there that got run over by the guide wheels. And I'm standing there, because I get blue streak. <laughs> Not fresh, but <laughs> and I feel this brush. And I look over my shoulder, and it's Frank Wells. He says, Sully, what are you doing here? I says, boss, I'm mad at hell. And he says, I'm glad you're here. Keep it up. <laughs> so we got her open, and we had a great time over there. My wife became the best tour guide of France, of Paris. Because she was like, I'd go to work in the morning, and she'd jump on a train and go to Paris and come back for dinner time. So anyway, but anyway. And the best thing that's ever happened to me at uh, Disneyland was I met her. She was selling... She was working at Walter Clark's wine shop, and she was wearing a grass skirt and a little bikini top. It was been 39 years. I went out for a summer job, and I spent 39 years, and we had a great time. Uh, I got to go to, got to go to, oh, it was Japan, we went to France, uh, you know, and we got to do a whole lot of stuff. So, and as a very family-oriented company, and. Uh, they took care of us real well. That's about it. So our last gentleman to speak, we're going to take a little bit of a break before we start, but uh, it's, it's an interactive piece, so there's some slides to look at. But uh, Tom, to start, will say his claim to fame is he was hand-selected by Walt Disney to be... Tom Sawyer. Tom Sawyer. The original Tom Sawyer. Now, of course, everybody knows that Hannibal is not too far from Marceline. Right. And our good friends from Hannibal have sent some Tom Sawyers and Becky Thatchers to give uh, Tom a run for his money. So if you want to come up, we'll do some pictures and then we'll take a little break. I used to look like that. <laughs> no, these kids are cute. Thank you. Thank you, Mary. It's sort of cute. You see the little chalkboards that these they have? I had the opportunity to go out and hand a invite to the opening of the Disneyland's Tom Sawyer's Island to all the press and te uh, television and radio celebrities in Orange County and LA County and San Diego County for the publicity department for the island opened up. But unfortunately, all the pictures of the opening of the island are the winners of the Hannibal, Be Becky Thatcher, and Tom Sawyer. I didn't start working until two weeks, uh, uh, two days after they were in town. Uh, got a question here. Do you still get together with the all of the Club 55 uh, meetings are over with? Well, they're over with. Uh, after I retired, they no longer had any. Eventually, uh, before I retired, it was just the active uh, Club 55 members, not the ones that were retired. And uh, 
So we don't we don't really do that anymore. And uh, the, let's see. The other question was, well, do we have a story about the Skyway ride opened in 1956 in June? It was uh, if you know your history, one of the first uh, physical oh, what do you call it, gurus was Big Tanny. And the Skyway, that's what everybody at Disneyland called it, was the Big Tanny, because it was very difficult, very physical to work it. You had to sling the buckets around. Uh, there's a lot of history of Disneyland with uh, nicknames. Tomorrowland Autopia was called Blood Alley. <laughs> because that's just about it. If you weren't careful, that's just about what could happen. The 20,000 leagues under the sea was called Squid Row. <laughs> and, oh, let me see what else. I, I can't remember. Of course, uh, everything's abbreviated. Tom Sawyer Islands, TSI, uh, things like that. All right, or the, uh, the mine ride. The mine ride was probably the best attraction to work at Disneyland. Uh, one of the best as far as foreman was, uh, uh, which I did, the uh, Jungle Cruise, but the mine ride was very uh, beautiful, quiet, and uh, well, I don't mean to say this in a certain way, you weren't interacting with the public at all, because once you loaded the car and you took off, you were on the on the, uh, the tender and everything, you know, you, first of all, it was uh, a live animation, and, uh, and you had two people on the train, one sitting way back behind the last car doing the live spiel. And then later on, uh, you know, the cut costs, of course, to make it better. And to make it more uniform, it went to recording. You just hit a button. So it was easy to, it was an easy attraction to, uh, to work. But it was also one of the prettiest and one of the, uh, oh, I don't know, just delightful to work. So the wine ride was one of the best to work. There's a, uh, on the mine ride, uh, each morning we'd go out and we'd, we'd have a, a, a broom, a, a brush about this long, and had it head on like this, and we'd grease the track. And we all went out and we greased, greased just the inside of the track, because so we didn't want the, the wheels to be squealing. Well, there's a gentleman, we never referred to him as Slippery Hicks. <laughs> Slippery Hicks got out there one morning, brand new foreman, got the bucket, got the grease, got the brush, and he greased the whole track. And when the train when the train came down the hill, he started to set the brakes and he just called it slippery And that's why they call it, you know, when the old faithful, they call that old unfaithful. <laughs> go right through it and get soaked. I will tell you a couple of little stories. I did a lot of stuff at Disneyland that you probably shouldn't have been doing. <laughs> but I used to go over to Tom Sawyer Island and get a uh, fishing pole and uh, well I grew up in Iowa and I did a lot of fishing and stuff like that you know and, and used to uh, catch bullfrogs and, and everything well there was bullfrogs in the, the big pond at mine right and so I'd stand on her on the trestle with the uh, bamboo pole and I'd uh, put a little uh, red tag on it and I'd catch bullfrogs hard to believe but it you know then throw them back in of course and uh, there was a few instances where I went, you know, over <laughs> greased it also. 
you had to do that because they had some really tight radiuses. And so you had to grease the track just perfect. And you did that in the morning, and when you went through the, uh, the caverns, uh, Rainbow Caverns, uh, you know, you basically did it by feel because it was dark. <coughs> and, and, and particularly during the ride, when the ride was running, and you had to be very careful because the mine ride was absolutely uh, quiet. There was no noise to it at all, unless you blew the whistle or rang the bell. And that was it, or the spiel. So you could be doing it, all of a sudden you got a train behind you. you know? <laughs> but uh, you just had to know what you were doing. Safety-wise, Disneyland, Disneyland's always been safe. It's much safer now because, you know, they do a lot of different stuff out there. Uh, when we worked there, Sully and, and, and Tom, uh, you know, capacity was everything because it was only Disneyland and you didn't have a lot of attractions and you had a tremendous amount of people. So the more you could haul per attraction, the more money to make and every attraction was competing with everybody else. Now, and that kind of changed when they went to the one price at the main gate. Okay, I'm going to tell you, we already got your money. <laughs> so the attractions don't have to be, you know, as efficient. Well, they're, they're as efficient, but they don't have to be as high capacity as they used to be. Uh, the ones that are on a set dispatch, yes. And uh, nowadays, with all the safety requirements, it's even less. But with the advent of uh, Disney California Adventure, you know, it's balanced out. So, you know, the attendance is pretty much the same. And somebody wrote up here. Oh, like we, had, we had a saying in, uh, at uh, Disneyland that was a safety show courtesy and capacity. And that's, that's the way we live by it. Safety show courtesy and capacity. Yes. Somebody wrote on here, I grew up in LA 1963 to 1981. I don't know what I'm supposed to say about that. I grew up before that. <laughs> I didn't grow up for a long time. <laughs> That's all I have. Uh, if you got a, a few other questions, I was thinking a little bit more about the Club 55. I am not the president of the Club 55. No, but you're the keeper of Club 55. I'm just kind of the historian, yeah, the you know, and I've kind of uh, collected more than most people. and. Uh, what you see over at the museum is just a fraction of it. And probably, eventually, almost all of my collection will come to the museum or somewhere else maybe. If you've never been there, this is a fantastic museum. It's, it's totally different than the San Francisco Disney Family, which is a fantastic museum also. And uh, if you have a chance, you should see both. They're both different. That's about the Disney family. Uh, this one here is about Walt Disney and Disneyland mainly. And, uh, and of course, Marceline, you know, happens to be the, the focus. <laughs> so, anything else? Uh, I'm heading back to California tomorrow, so you probably. <laughs> uh, but I got one here. If you ever get out there, look me up. I got one here. It says, Did anyone play basketball in the Matterhorn? Uh, I worked there. Uh, and, and there was there a court up there. Well, when we have the the uh, mountain climbers on the Matterhorn, uh, they take breaks, and instead of just you know it, that's a long ways up and a long ways down, and it's very unsafe to try and get out of there. And so they went up there. They stayed there until you know until lunchtime. 
And yes, they build a basketball court up there. And uh, some of the guys on the attraction would go up there and play basketball with them, and they, they'd play basketball up there all the time. So anyway, it's still there. It's still there. Wasn't the full court. The Matterhorn, just real quick, is uh, four layers uh, for the public, for the ride. And then there's the fifth level, which is actually up, you know, below the, the going up to the top where Tinkerbell goes. And uh, it's pretty well filled up now because uh, what they've done is, you know, the Tinkerbell just used to slide down <laughs> in the behind Frontierland. Now they got things, you know, they Tinkerbell slides down, Tinkerbell slides up, Dumbo goes down, Dumbo goes up, and they got all kinds of machinery up there. I was up there a few years ago, uh, very restrictive now. I used to go up there all the time. It used to be a big open building, a big, yeah. big open room with a ladder that went up all the way to the top. Tinkerbell, by the way, the first time Tinkerbell ever flew was at the Hollywood Bowl uh, when we did Disneyland uh, at uh, the Hollywood Bowl, Disneyland, Disneyland night at the Hollywood Bowl, 1958. And she flew from the back of uh, Hollywood Bowl all the way down to the stage. Her name was Tiny Klein. She was an old circus performer, and she was 71 years old. And she and she wanted to she wanted to, to start when she was going to fly. She wanted to hang by her teeth and slide down. There. What? Our safety guy says, "Ain't no way." <laughs> so Hank Deans, he built uh, he built the uh, harness for her, and uh, she hated it. She was a sweet little old lady, and we have we hired a bunch of Marines because uh, El Toro was just on the road, and we had catchers at either end, and she she'd come off the she'd come off the top of the a Matterhorn, and uh, she'd hit at, at the far end in behind Tomorrowland, and she loved hit that mattress real hard. She was a character. <laughs> come on, guys, come on, come on. Anyway, uh, so yes, uh, that's there is the basketball court up there, and she rode the bus. From Anaheim to LA, and she had just enough time to get in and change out of her costume and get to the bus <coughs> station out in front of the Disneyland right after being caught. So <laughs> she didn't drive. The next one here is why did they close the people mover in Disneyland? Well, you know, as Walt used to say, Disneyland will never be completed. And it was, you know, put something else new in. But I don't really know why they did why they closed it. But uh, that was, that was their oh, I do. Why? why? <laughs> Answer the damn question. <laughs> well, main reason. Uh, the one at Walt Disney World uh, is pretty much enclosed or is enclosed, and it's, so it operates very, very uh, different. Uh, the People Mover was developed from the uh, Ford Pavilion at the uh, New York World Fair '64 '65. And it, it basically runs, you know, the trains basically run. By the way, one of the cars recently sold at auction for a little over four hundred some thousand dollars. Wow! But anyway, in, at, at uh, New York World Fair, if a, if a, one of a boosters or a trimmer, as they call them, you know, in other words, one would make it go faster, one would slow it down. If they failed, you could re drop it out, put another one in. Disneyland is outside, so you have the weather conditions. You also had, they also had some problems with the guests jumping out in one tragic accident and then put, started putting rails. I think they still have it, Walt, as it will. Yeah, it's very successful down there, but it never worked, worked uh, well at uh, Disneyland because it's outside. It might 
I don't know if it ever come back. It's very, very good uh, idea on how to move people. The the important the thing, beautiful, beautiful thing of it is the turntable kept turning and kept blowing all the time as the cars would go by, and you know we didn't use that a lot. Uh, same thing at uh, the Ford Pavilion, the World's Fair. Uh, same thing at the Haunted Mansion. The, 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 we learned this all and, uh, as, as we grew up. I got a question here. Everyone knows that the best ride at Disneyland is Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> In whose opinion? Yeah. That would be me, I'm, sir. I'm a, I'm a that would be buddy. me. I'm a jungle buddy. And we, used to have, we always used to have competition between Small World and Pirates of the Caribbean. No and we always did, and it was just, just a great show. It's a great show, and so is Small World. So is, so is, so is Jungle Cruise. They're all good. Uh, now, Bob said earlier that the Jungle Cruise was the best attraction. Now, I have to take exception. I'm Sawyer's Island in the keel boats. <laughs> and my favorite was Jungle Cruise or the Carousel. Yes. I worked the Carousel. When you were, when the hell was that? You want to know why now I worship when it opened and it's not one of my favorites. <laughs> <laughs> my, favorite, my favorite attraction is the uh, Tiki Room. I just like the excitement of it. I like the movement of everything. I, it never stops. You know, I helped open it up in 1963 with Walt. And uh, so that's my favorite attraction. Pirate Ride. Pirate Ride is probably the best attraction at Disneyland because of the dis the uh, you know you ride for 15 minutes it's, it's a, you can't see it all so you want to ride it again. Well, you you've got the ride system that's so great. You've got the, the darkness that's so great. You got the lighting that's so great. The animation is phenomenal and the sets are beautiful. So yeah, it's a good show. So you agree it's the best ride? <laughs> oh, see, I thought you were talking about the Haunted Mansion there for a bit, in the dark and a perfect ride. It takes a few minutes with beautiful sets, and you can't catch everything with one ride, and you have to keep doing it multiple times. That's the Haunted Mansion. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was a view ladder meant to be the train of the future. Well, it was a bright idea that Walt had, and I'll tell you something that's interesting. It, had, it was driven by two Cadillac engines. And anyway, we tried it, and it had, didn't have a whole lot of capacity, and it, but it worked. And worked there for a long time, uh, except the problem was that the guys in the sky, where the kids in the sky, was, would go over it and spit down on top of it. So, so anyway, there was the forerunner to the monorail. And that you know, we had it's kind of more. It was really more of a fill-in attraction for a couple of years. I don't know how long it did run. It was only about three years. I ran it. I I worked on it for a short period of time at Corvette Engine. <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, an amazing night, and we can all now make our way to the museum and chat with these gentlemen face-to-face, one-on-one, over a cold drink, an amazing night. I definitely want to tell you about Friends of the Magic which is happening this coming weekend in Disneyland. This is hosted by Paul Berry of A Window to the Magic. Friends of the Magic is this coming weekend, if you're planning to attend. Look for Lost Boy Eric to be there. We're going to have some trivia questions for anyone who has listened to the Neverland podcast. I've basically put some Disney information that I know you would have gotten here. You may have gotten it from some other sources as well, but I know you would have heard this information here, and maybe exclusively here on some of it. He will have pins, Disneyland exclusive 50th anniversary pins that I got from that event that uh, you've just heard about. 
there will be pins there that you will get if you can answer some of these trivia questions. He's only got a limited supply of those. He's also going to have some buttons to give away, and he was planning on giving away some Haunted Mansion comic books as well. It will be sometime probably Saturday evening at the Haunted Mansion. Uh, so look at your schedules whenever you get there to the event. Uh, I'm sure Paul Berry will be posting it at some point, a schedule of when everything's going on, but... I haven't gotten full confirmation of exactly where they're going to have a setup, but we were like, like I said, we were aiming for the Haunted Mansion sometime on Saturday night. So be on the lookout for that if you're attending Friends of the Magic. I'm sorry I can't be there myself, but Lost Boy Eric, if you're not familiar with him, then you haven't been listening long. But he's been on here frequently. He is one of my team of co-hosts. He does a great job. He's always fun. You're going to enjoy spending some time with him, and he will be there. He will be wearing a nice Neverland podcast shirt. Which, if you're interested in getting some of those shirts, make sure you visit our shop, which you'll hear about out all in our closing sounder coming at you right now. Thank you for listening to the Neverland Podcast. We invite you back next week for more fun and adventure. Until then, remember to keep a pixie in your pocket. It's that young at heart, positive attitude that you can share with others. And remember to visit our website at NeverlandPodcast.com. There you can find links to our news page, our shop, our contact page, where you can easily send an email to podcast at NeverlandPodcast.com. You can also find our Neverlanders page, where you can find out how to become an official lost boy or pixie, because girls are too clever to get lost. Become a real Neverlander! Please feel free to leave us a voicemail at 816-226-6492. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at NeverlandPCast. And like our Neverland Podcast fan page on Facebook. We also have a group on Facebook for you to join. We also appreciate your support to keep the Neverland Podcast up and running. Visit Patreon.com slash NeverlandPodcast to donate to Keeping the Pixie Dust Alive. Copyright content featured on the Neverland podcast is copyright of their respective creators and used under fair use license. All original content is copyright of Blue Band Productions and a very special thanks to Yeehaw Bob Jackson at yeehawbob.com for our new ending music. God bless! Yeah! Hello everybody, this is Yeehaw Bob Jackson. Neverland Podcast, we love you. Neverland Podcast, we love you. Neverland Podcast, it's true. Neverland Podcast, we 